Hello and welcome to the Fulham Focus podcast. My name is Morgan Calton. I'm back in the hot seat tonight. Uh, thanks very much to Danny Boy for covering for me last time. Uh, I wasn't doing anything glamorous. I was looking after an eight-month-old baby. So good to be back. Uh, we've got plenty of talking points to get through tonight. Just the two of us currently. John Shaw was supposed to be joining us, but he's having a few technical difficulties. Uh, so I'm delighted to welcome for his first appearance on the podcast, uh, Cameron Ramsey. Hey, Cameron. Evening, everybody. Evening. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've got a lot to get through. Um, obviously, sort of big news from the weekend. Fulham have finally broken a 139-year record. We're unbeaten in 16 games. And the thing that seemed to stick with it was the fact that we couldn't beat QPR and everyone was somehow disappointed uh, despite this record. Obviously, we want to try and keep this positive. You know, it, was, it wasn't a great result. You know, uh, but at the end of the day, we've done something that generations of teams before uh, this one couldn't manage to do. Um, so I think, you know, we need to focus on the fact that, you know, we have broken a record. We're on a great run and, you know, one blip doesn't make a season. So we'll talk about that. We're also going to look at uh, the atmosphere at the cottage. I know there was um, a report recently um about sort of, you know, whether the Putney end was better than the Hammersmith end. But, you know, we're looking at the issue of the infamous clappers. Should we be bringing safe standing back at the ground? And the neutral end uh, is, or as it's called, the mix zone. Um, should that just go? Should that just be a home end uh, or a flexible away end? And uh, will the Riverside re- redevelopment uh, have any impact on uh, what happens with the two, uh, with the stands? Uh also looking at whether Sessegnon's uh, inclusion in the England under-21 squad, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And we'll also look at Cardiff's uh, chances of staying in second place now that they're going to have fixture pile up towards the end of the season. So uh, without further ado, I mean, Cameron, give me your take on Saturday. Try and be positive. What, what, what did you think from, about the game? Well, and, you know, looking at this record, it's a great thing, right? No, look, everyone seems to be under, underwhelmed with the result. Considering that we were, you know, we were two 0 up and conceded a bit of a sloppy goal towards uh, towards the end of the se- end of the first half, I beg your pardon. Um, but to be quite honest with you, to be there in the flesh and to witness something that was uh, so spectacular in in the greatest respects so of the actual result itself, I believe that we should all be uh, be in the greatest of spirits possible. And I I honestly don't feel too aggrieved by the result. Yes, disappointing to. Uh, to fundamentally lose the game to an extent, um, it felt like a loss, especially. But um, I don't necessarily listen to what everyone else has said, more or less. Um, like I say, it was cold, it was snowy, but there were times where we showed flashes of our potential again. And like you, like you alliterators, I mean, this is something that squads have been trying to do for you know nearly 140 years, and we've beaten it. And Ian Holloway said before the game he wanted to uh wanted to crash Fulham's party and to an extent he might have but he certainly didn't because we carry on marching on and we have a new record and a new benchmark yeah and I think you know we're going into an international break we're still you know unbeaten in 2018 um it's a great run there are the fact that we haven't lost in this time it's incredible from a fact you know sort of looking back at earlier in the season when we weren't playing great football uh, you know, a few games during this run, we've, um, 
you know, we've rode our luck a bit, you know, on Saturday we were punished. And it was, you know, it was unfortunate for Dennis that, you know, he slipped on the ball, essentially. Um, and the fact that we only had 10 minutes left in the game didn't help. The The performance was disjointed. Um, but that first half, you know, I hadn't I haven't been to a, you know many games recently because of uh, uh, already mentioned child, um, but it was you know it was a joy to watch. I mean, you look at sort of some of the play and it was so fluid, and you sort of you look at them and go, okay, this is a team full of confidence. Um, seeing Mitrovic up there, sort of like his strength, uh, his sort of you know his composure on the ball. Um, I mean, I don't think he had the best game, but you know just seeing what he brings to the team. Um, it was great to watch, and you know the sort of the two goals we were you know deservedly two 0 up, um, and I think you know when that sort of goal went in in injury time, um, it was one of those things you go look at it and go hang on a second, uh, not a great time to score, but hopefully you know the team are composed enough that they'll come out and uh, second half will be you know same as this half. But I don't know what it was. It just kind of like I think we must have had around seventy percent of possession in the uh, in the second half, but. If you look at a heat map, it was all in our half. Um, I don't know. Obviously, you were in the Hammersmith end, and uh, you probably didn't see a huge amount of what was going on down the other end. But it was just, it was, you know, sort of like Kearney was playing almost behind uh, Riemann Adoy at times. He was dropping back so deep, and nothing was seeming to come of what we were doing. So I don't know. I mean, it was just a bit of a strange game. I mean, what did you make of uh, that from what you could see? Well, I agree to the fact that whenever we got in possession, we seemed to just shepherd it to side to side. And the players that are so influential on the ball didn't actually, uh, you know, take the game by the, uh, by the horn, so to speak. We needed somebody to, to pierce QPR a little bit more. We're so effective at using the flanks. We're so effective at using the channels. And Mitrovic, like you say, is a great outlet up top to actually hold the play up and to have our, uh, you know, Great protagonists in the midfield, you know, the likes of Kearney, Stefan Johansson. When they're on the ball, you know that you're going to be getting ammunition. And we didn't have enough of that, um, particularly in the second half. I know we're straying away from the first half, but from what I saw, we looked tentative um, in spates and spells of the game. But I'm sure that's just because of the magnitude of the uh, occasion itself. And QPR made it difficult for us. You know, yeah, they hustled I mean, and harried. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing. I mean, they were a perfect Holloway team. They did not let you rest on the ball. Uh, you know, they were, I'm sure there was the odd kick here and there. And, you know, they just got into us. And yeah. we've been playing such great football lately. And I think, you know, they were just a bit riled, riled by the sort of uh, this approach. And, you know, I don't think you can sort of like comment too much sort of on how the weather would affect the players, but it was a horrible day. I mean... I think I was saying to you before we came on that I've been going for about 23 years now. And that was one of, if not the coldest game I've been to. I mean, that wind, uh, you oh, know, yeah. you see the ball was just blowing all over the place in the air. It was, it was sobering for the boys out there, you know, especially in such cold temperatures and conditions. You're always going to get yourself uh, warmed up with a little bit of an argy-bargy out on the pitch. But... You know, it's difficult when you're trying to keep hold of the ball. There was a couple of times where they, it, it was a bit of a wayward um, possession wasn't necessarily going our way and we couldn't get a foothold in the game simply because I think, uh, you know, it's a little extra zip on the pitch at, at points, um, especially sitting in the stands. I knew that I was uh, I was chuntering away and chattering away to myself, just trying to keep myself uh, from, you know, freezing in, freezing in my spot. But 
You it was, know, it was kind of, of an interesting choice as well. I mean, they obviously it was snowing, sleeting, whatever it was during the first half. Um, and then they had the sprinklers on at half time. Yeah. Um, which, you know, you could tell the ball was zipping a lot. But it was, I think, you know, that was probably one of the reasons that uh, Dennis fell over the ball. Like, he probably just slipped on it. And, you know, when you're 30 yards from goal and you do that, uh, regardless of the QPR player's talent, you know, he should be scoring when he's one on one. Yeah. Uh, with that much time, um, you know, it was it was I've, obviously our our style of play relies on nice slick passing, so I get the point of it. But I kind of feel like the uh, nature was uh, sprinkling enough on the pitch that we didn't really need any extra help on that front. Um, you know, it sounds it, sorry, it sounds a bit bitter to uh, blame the weather and the uh, the sprinklers, the said sprinklers. But um, you know, I just think without trying to sound too negative on uh, Doyle's performance, because I thought prior to that, he was uh, outstanding at the back. And uh, I think he exhibited his qualities uh, defensively and held the line very well. But, you know, I I feel it actually did have a little bit of something to do with it. And I don't really want to sound cliched in that, but, you know, blame the weather and blame... Yeah, but it was was tough conditions. um, And that's more or less it, to be quite honest. Yeah, well, I think the guy who scored for QPR, the, the equaliser, was like, uh, I think he was Polish. So he's probably perfectly used um, to those weather. He probably thought it was a nice summer's yeah. day. Yeah, yeah uh, this this is what he grew up playing in, probably, without uh, <laughs> delving too much into that. But no, uh, I thought like that he was... Yeah, I didn't really want a stereotype, but that's not fair on him. He's a good player. <laughs> and uh, he causes problems throughout the first half as well. I mean, Betts pulled off a great save, didn't he? Mm. Um, to deny him. And I thought that he pierced our defence very well, despite the fact that, uh, you know, Tim Ream and especially Adoy in the centre of defence actually looked like they had their head screwed on. But obviously it wasn't to be in the second half for Adoy, but we won't heap too much pressure on the poor lad. No, I think, you know, he's stepped in and he's done a great job in the last few games while Callis has been out. Um, I imagine Callis will probably be back in the next game. I think he was quite close to returning for that game. Yeah, and two weeks off will probably sort of you know give him enough time to recover. I'm sure he'll step straight back in. Um, obviously, you know, Reem is a stalwart in in the team now. Um, it was quite weird though. I was sitting uh, where I was sitting uh, behind me. There were two ladies who were very seemed very knowledgeable on the game, um, yeah. but they kept commenting on how nervous Reem made them. And I was like, I, I, I don't know if you've seen a game this season. You know, he's going to play. This guy has been, you know, sort of an absolute he's, rock at the back. I mean, he's got footwork that sort of most players would be, uh, you know, jealous of uh, all day long. And yet, you know, you're getting nervous every time he tries to sort of turn someone. It's like, oh, no. That's odd. Yeah. <laughs> because comparing to last season where he had his criticisms, I think this year, um, he and Callis have kind of switched. Um, he's somebody that fills me with a lot of confidence and he's grown into a leader, whereas Callis has certainly had his shortcomings this year and has come under a little bit of criticism, a little bit of lambasting. But no, I, I don't get that at all. I thought, once again, Ream deserved every applaud that he got on Saturday. Yeah. No, again, you know, he's just been solid. He had a couple of slips in the in the first half, but again, who knows, that might have just been a yeah, slippery pitch or whatever. Um, but you know, he's been fantastic and you know, won't, won't hear a bad word said against him. Obviously, I didn't want to make no. a scene at the back of the Riverside stand because you know, it's a nice polite stand after all. That's right. Maybe in the hammy end, you might have gotten away with it, but even yeah, then, exactly. that's still pretty polite. 
Um, moving on to sort of, you know, we sort of said about the game. And moving on, to, uh, I don't want to make too much of the substitutions because, you know, I've heard a lot of people talking about it, um, and I'm sure sort of other podcasts have covered it as well. But it's it was an interesting choice, um, mm. you know, taking Kearney off. You could see why he would take him off. Um, obviously, he's you know he has been injured. He wasn't, you know, he didn't have the best game in the second half. And you know, him coming off, um, it was just a bit of an odd choice to bring uh, Font on. I don't think sort of uh, Portuguese players particularly used to sort of minus three degrees and sort of sleeping. <laughs> I'm sure uh, AK sort of not particularly used to it either. But I mean, would he have been better, a better option to sort of like, you know, barge around with some of the QPR players rather than a sort of a fairly delicate player that Font is? Yeah. Well, I think watching Font when he came on, he doesn't like turning on the ball. Whenever his back's towards the goal, it doesn't look like he's actually going to be creating much. And uh, in contrast to AK, you know you're going to get somebody who's going to be hounding down defenders and is going to be disrupting defensive lines and rear guards. And I thought Fonte got bullied off, bullied off the ball a little bit on Saturday. And every time he had a touch, it was a little bit out of his uh, out of his vicinity, so to speak. Mm. Um, I would have definitely had, uh, had AK on. You know, somebody well, just to get about... To be fair, I think he was just he was bringing on the wrong position. Really, I think you know it's fairly well um, agreed that you know Norwood would have been a better option. Oh yeah, um, because you're not quite sure you're two one up. You're not playing particularly well. Why do you bring on a, um, a striker? Um, Fonte is somebody who is adaptable. He's versatile. Of course, we know he can play out on either wing if required. But going through the centre for me, I don't really see that from him at all. I haven't really seen much from him this season to. Uh, justify the fact that he's a centre-forward by trade or a striker. He's uh, creative on his day. Once he gets in full flow, we know he's a bit of a handful. But for that type of game, when it was physical anyway, we needed somebody with, you know, a bit more of a brawn to them. I think that was all. I mean, the thing is, he bought off um, Kenny, who was essentially playing as a holding midfielder role um, and replaced him with, uh, you know, a number 10. Or a striker, depending on you know what he's thinking about with Font. Um, yeah, but it's we were in a position where we weren't playing well, and we only had about sort of you know fifteen minutes or so left of the game. You know there there is no harm in trying to play ugly and just throwing in a sort of you know a dirty defensive midfielder, not dirty tackling wise, but you know sort of like you know there's not a huge amount of creativity in Norwood. But you know would, would it have just made sense just to see out the game and just sort of go put it down to you know this wasn't pretty, but we have taking the three points um and you know but no i guess he just wanted to go for the next goal and sort of uh and uh try and sort of seal it then but it didn't work out and i'm sure uh slav will learn from that yeah but uh i mean there were other subs in there as well uh obviously ojo's come in for pretty much endless criticism um over the last sort of uh few months and you know he didn't have a great game when he came on but i'm kind of a little bit bored about hearing him being criticized um, yeah. I, haven't really seen, I haven't seen from him uh, anything that would constitute a bad attitude. Um, you know, he's I, he does want to play well. I think you know he just wants to sort of try and sort of advance his career um, and try and build on you know his days in the Liverpool youth team. Um, yeah. But you know, he doesn't. He's definitely not the finished article. But you know, I'm sure he'll be a um, you know decent player as he moves on. I just I feel it's a bit unfair the criticism that he does constantly get. I feel going back to the Ollie Norwood point. He might not be the most adept on the ball and creatively, but once he does have it under his spell, he's got an absolute wand of a 
wander for through ball on them, and he's proven that he can find gaps in defences, and he can thread balls through the um, eye of a needle. And I think we need somebody there just to hound and be a little bit more dogged in the centre of midfield once uh, once TC came off. Apart from that, I thought we just needed somebody to settle it, get hold of the ball, play simple balls once again, like we were trying to shepherd it through the midfield, and you know, get from target to target. And I just don't, I just don't think Rui Fonte, when he when he came on, is capable of doing that. He's not capable of getting himself about and making himself a nuisance as uh, Norwood does. Norwood's somebody that will fly into a challenge and break play up as well, and uh, unsettle QPR as much as he could have done. Um, Shay Ojo, he comes under criticism because I think people expect a little bit too much from him. Yeah, he's uh, like you say, he's somebody that. Wants to press on from the great summer he had with the um, young Lions. You know, he's part of the World Cup winning squad and he truly made a name for himself. And I thought absolute revelation when he came down to the river. But in a foot race, he's uh, he's nine times out of ten going to win that ball along the channel. And his uh, final ball is not the finished article. He isn't the finished article, but it's a lot of uh, a lot of learning to be done down in the championship. And... To get on a young man's back as well, especially when he didn't actually have the worst of showings either on Saturday, in my opinion. I just think give him a little bit more time. Maybe we're trying to influence the wings a little bit more. It just didn't work. That's all. Yeah, and I think you know it. You don't if you're coming on with 20 minutes left. There's not a huge amount. You sort of like you can do your best, but I mean it takes players you know a while to warm up into a game to get sort of a feel for the pace of it. And you know when you're bringing on subs at that point. Sometimes you're not going to see the sort of you know, best display from them. Um, and, you know, he looked, you know, he didn't look particularly good. But, I mean, I'm not going to sort of sit here and just go, but that's because he's shit. Because I feel like, you know, he's not. Uh, he scored a few goals for us. Um, he's, you know, he's been okay. Uh, he hasn't set the team alight. But, um, you know, it's... I. You know, I would just consider it sort of some of the criticism is getting a bit unfair. Um, but I guess, you know, that sort of leads into everyone going, where's Cabano gone? You know, Niskins has not been in the squad the last um, couple of weeks or so. Um, do you think he's fallen out of favour? Or do you just think, you know, we've only got room for seven subs. He's just not sort of uh, cutting it in training. Or he feels that Aite and Oja are better options on the wing. Um, or do you think maybe he's... Um, just not as good as them. I wouldn't have liked to have thought he's fallen out with Slav at all. From what I've seen, again, this season for Cabano, he's been a great servant to us when he's been on the pitch. And he's uh, such an intricate player on the ball. Um, comparing to Aite and comparing to Shea Ojo, Cabano to me is a little bit more, I feel like, under pressure. And when he's been closed down and boxed in, He's a little bit more. Uh, he's a little bit more tricky with his play. He's a clever operator with the ball. Whereas Ayito, yes, he's got a swivel of the hips. He's got quick feet. But I feel Cabano draws players into challenges a lot more to our favour as well. And if, whether that's to win throw-ins, free kicks, corners, we needed something like that on Saturday. I would have liked to have seen Cabano in the squad, and I think people have been calling out for it for a couple of weeks now. I've you know, you you search Twitter and you look down your feed and it's always constantly worse. Cabano, you know, um, has he gone on holiday? Checking his Instagram stories, you know, has he uh, has he just suddenly given up on football and started becoming a bit more of a personality celebrity? 
I don't know, but I want to see him in the squad a lot more. And I've made that clear um, when I've spoken to people, you know, after the game in the last couple of days. I I like him. He's a creative player. He's uh, ingenious and, you know, he's missed. And I think we need a little bit of reinvigoration on his part as well, coming into the next couple of weeks after the international break. Yeah, and it's the thing is, you you do see him sort of like they always sort of show photos of him in training. So I think he's definitely there. He hasn't gone off and done sort of uh, the Congolese Jamie O'Hara and tried to sort of be on Big Brother yeah. or something like that. He's well, and he was even playing inflatable roulette, you know, with the football the other day. Apparently, yeah. It. So he's around, and he always seems to have a bit of a smile on his face. So he's obviously got a good attitude. I'm, obviously, I'm reading into a, a still photo, but I mean, I think he's got you know seems to have a good attitude. Um, and I think he will be back in the squad. I think you know. You only have so much space. And if the manager's seeing something in training from other players, um, he's not going to listen. I I imagine he doesn't even read uh, what people say on Twitter, even if he does have an account. Um, I think, you know, it's just he sees these players day in, day out, and he picks a squad based on what he sees. I think, you know, we've always sort of said that Slav's a bit of a stubborn bloke. Uh, and you wouldn't want to get into an argument with him. Uh, but I think he is fair. Um, and I think he is picking teams based on what he thinks will do best for the club. And so, you know, if Niskins isn't cutting it in training, you know, even if it's just, you know, uh, you know, a slightly, uh, slightly bit worse than sort of Ojo or uh, Aite, then he's not getting the squad as well as the pitch. So hopefully he will get back in. You know, obviously the international break could sort of lead to anything, maybe injuries or whatever. Um, but I'm sure we'll see him back in the squad before the end of the season. You know, he's not going out alone anywhere because he can't. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think I think we will. I think we will start seeing him a bit more. But I think people need to become less impatient. Really, it's sort of like you can call for it as much as you want on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. But unless you're sitting down there. Uh, at Watspur Park every day and sort of seeing how they train or, you know, what Slav's plans are for the game, then you can't, you know, you are just basing it on your own opinion. Yeah. Which is fine, but it's not going to pick the team. Um, but, you know, let's hope. Well, we shall see what happens in a couple of weeks when we're back. Um, but sort of moving on from there, I mean, moving completely away from the team and moving to the fairly... Uh, opinion splitting clappers that we have mm, before the game. Yeah. Yeah. Um what what's what are you? Are you a I hate these or are you a these add something to the atmosphere? You know, I've tried to be a supporter of them. They get, you know, like Ojo sadly, a lot of uh, unfair criticisms because Fulham's is marketed and it's known as a family club. Um, the children and the kids there absolutely love them. It's great to see a child smile, and especially in a Fulham shirt, there's no greater sight to that. <laughs> I can't actually stand it, though. When you're sitting in the terraces, you're screaming, you're having a little bit of, you know, you're blowing off a bit of steam, and you've just got some 40-year-old middle-aged bloke behind you banging away at his clapper, you know, not really giving much input on the game, it's just creating a racket. And, in, you know, we've been a, well, you know, it's, it's, it's clear to see what away fans uh, think of us. They seem to think we're a little bit of a laughing stock and there's no character about the fan base, which is completely untrue. But I'm not a fan of the Clappers. That's the crux of it, really. I'm not a fan of the Clappers and I don't think I ever will be. Let's put it that way. No, I think uh, once 
you you might be wanting the sort of the early sort of early camp that thought for actually you know what these aren't that bad but no one goes from disliking to liking the clappers you only go from tolerating to disliking them from what i can yes. gather um i kind of you know when i first started hearing them at the ground at you know at kickoff as you know the players are coming out it added a bit of something but then i think there should be some sort of setting within these things that they just disintegrate as soon as kickoff oh as, that would uh, be fantastic right yeah if, if you can find some advanced technology advanced clapper technology that sort of makes these things disappear as soon as the game starts that yeah. would be great but you know hearing um stray clappers go off it's like it's not quite as annoying but it's getting pretty close to the vuvuzela at the world cup in 2010 i mean those things you know when they came out to the pitch it was like you know this sort of huge sort of things of mosquitoes and sort of entered the stadium but then yeah, occasionally you'd hear the odd stray one and it's like oh, that's really annoying actually and yeah i think the clappers kind of have that uh that feel to them as well so I think they're they're nice and cheap to produce, uh, but I think uh, I think the club's got to come up with something slightly different. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, get the R and D department into it. You know, I'm sure uh, someone at the club can be paid to uh, uh, come up with a different idea. Um, just, but you're right. I, I don't see the problem with hands. You know, if you're gonna gonna clap and you're well, gonna classic, make a little bit of a racket, just use you your know, hands. Hands, been used, hands have been used for generations, and they seem to do a really good job. Oh. And you can no, use hands them for well. They're marvelous uh, things. They really uh, are. You can clap. You can wave. Uh, or yeah, possibilities. Are yeah, yeah. Uh, clappers. They only really have one use. I mean, it's, it's clues in the name, I guess. Um, yeah. Either but, that or they're uh, they're good uh, snow and sleet shields. Actually, if you put them over your head, they're slowly disintegrate into oh, yeah, a, a mulch. But <laughs> yeah, well, maybe if the club can come up with alternative uses for clappers, then yeah, we may be able to adopt them. With a more open mind, but at the moment, I think we're just finding them a bit annoying. Um, I think you know, trust us as fans to create atmosphere with the with the things on the ends of our arms, and we will we will put them to good use, I'm sure. And it will also stop other clubs taking the mick out of us because we got rid of the Michael Jackson statue, and we thought (laughs) that would be it. No one would take the mick out of us anymore, but apparently they are because we still have uh, clappers, and we also have the infamous neutral end. Should we get rid of that as well? You know what? To a complete different spin on that. I actually quite like the neutral end to a sense. Uh, I like knowing that people actually want to come and visit our club. Um, I know it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody in there is going to be a tourist. Maybe people just want to, uh, you know, sit down and watch a game of football as quietly as possible. But I have no real problem with it. They do actually make a little bit of noise when we score, of course. Uh, Obviously, there's not really many uh, fan chants or anything reverberating from the area. But if people want to come and visit the club, I'm all for it. I mean, it only builds a little bit more of a buzz about what we're all about. But I don't necessarily think we should get rid of it. You know, there's going to be neutral fans anywhere. I mean, we've seen it, sadly, in the past that even away fans uh, creep into the into the home stands. And they don't really cause too much of a problem because we don't give them a problem. And I don't think that we need to be... a uh, really marking ourselves and uh, calling ourselves hardcore fans to a sense that we can't have a neutral end, more or less. Yeah, and I think um, it's, I mean, they have sort of uh, rebranded it as the mix zone now. Um, so, I mean, it's it's kind of, it feels almost like sort of, you know, an advancement of football fans from the sort of the, you know, the bad days of the 80s where, you know, if you found out you were standing next to someone who didn't support your team, you'd automatically lamp them. Um, mm. Whereas, you know, nowadays, you know, you go to a game and you'll get sort of 
fans mingling amongst each other. We're, you know, we are a family club. We're not known as a club that's going to start trouble. You know, so it's it's just about sort of enjoying. If you're at that end, you're there to enjoy the game. Um, if you happen to be sat next to a fan, you know, away fan because their allocation sold out, then so be it. It's yeah, it's a bit odd for a team of you know who's been in the Premiership for 13 years to need one. I think yeah. maybe when it was first brought in, it was you know it had it served a purpose because our fan base wasn't that big. You know, we had a lot of clubs around us that had sort of more established in some of the top leagues, uh, and it was a good way of bringing in. Um, you know, essentially tourists into the club or, you know, people who were just bringing their families in. You know, the family um, the family stand in the Johnny Haynes stand isn't particularly big. It's just one block. Um, so, you know, if you're coming in with your kids and you don't want them to be sort of, you know, in amongst the sort of uh, the hardcore fans, uh, yeah. for a better term, um, then it's a good place to take them. But I kind of think, you know, that should, it maybe should be turned back into a home end. But, you know, it's still not going to be the you know the hardcore home fans but there's no reason why fans who you know come over from other countries or just tourists in london generally uh still can't buy tickets for it It yes it might just take off the sort of uh the slightly uh uh sort of notorious factor that we have uh we don't have enough fans to fill home areas of the stadium i guess well no um that itself is a little bit a little bit harsh because whenever you uh go to purchase a ticket in in any game, you know, you look at the Riverside stands, they're virtually full. Hammersmith End is virtually full. And Johnny Haynes is virtually full. Yes, the only part of which isn't always full is the neutral ends, you know, in the mix zone. And that's purely because anybody who generally wants to be there to start with, either as a season ticket, they've already bought one, you know. And yeah. I think that's more or less the size of it. But if we were to make it back to the Premier League, I'd don't necessarily feel it'd still be classed as such. We'll see a lot more of a fan base in there because there'd be, you know, disrespect to the championship, more attractive games to go to. That's all. Sure. I think yeah. as well, you know, we, um, as I said, you know, it was brought in because we wanted to introduce new fans to the club. And that was, you know, over 10 years ago. So I think now um, we're at a point where we have these extra fans. Uh, they won't come to every game because we are playing the championship. Um you know, maybe some people are actually put off because, you know, fans, myself included, if I sort of, you know, looking uh, for a ticket for the game and the only choice left is the Putney. And sometimes you do um and ah uh, about whether yeah. to go. You know, for a fact, the atmosphere is going to be awful. Um, but maybe if it was actually classed as a home end, you might start getting a few more people going in there who otherwise might be put off by going because they're going to get a seat in any other part of the ground. Yeah, I think uh, so. And- being sat being sat so close to the away fans of some people, it may not phase them if they don't really have an affiliation with the club. Um, but if it was strictly a home end, again, I think you'd uh, you'd get a few Fulham fans and White boys go over there and try and take the stand back for themselves, not in a not in a violent way or a, you know an oddly passive aggressive way. I just think uh, you'd want to take the uh, take the part in the end for yourselves and give a little bit more noise than what we've. Uh, what we've been lacking over the last 10 years or so, but you know, all could change, all could change. Uh, and obviously um, the Riverside redevelopment might have a, you know, an influence on that, um, whether that will mean that they move the away fans into the bottom tier. Like I think they've done it um, at Wolves, don't they? They have sort of the away fans uh, in sort of along the side of the pitch. Yeah. Um, and maybe the home, <coughs> yeah. Ooh, bless maybe you. The home end. <laughs> Thanks. 
uh, maybe the home end will be, uh, or maybe the Putney end will be turned into, you know, just home home end, depending on how many seats are available in the uh, in the new Riverside Sand. Um, so I don't know, be interesting. I mean, the other thing that's been sort of brought up, uh, we're going to discuss quickly because we need to move on to our final points. Um, would you be in favour of safe standing coming back? Yes. Yes, I would. Yeah, without a doubt, safe standing has, you know, no real health implications too much at all. I mean, they're segregated now. It's not like you're being pulled in like sardines. And uh, there's nothing wrong with jogging on the spot if you want to. Uh, you want to give, convey your emotions in that way. And the amount of times you get told to sit down at football nowadays, but just because you want to be on your feet and feel the atmosphere a little bit more from the pitch hitting you at every part of the body you possibly can do. I'd be all for it. I'd love to. I'd love to uh, be part of an all-standing stand or part or a little section. You know, but who knows? I think. I think. I think they. You know, it will be looked at. I think. You know, the success of it in Germany uh, will have an influence. Obviously, Celtic having their element of it. They're talking about it with certain League One, League Two sides. Um, I know. You know, sort of when they have redeveloped the Riverside Stand, there are talks about the Putney and Hammersmith End because you know. If we think back to it, and we don't need to look at it to realise they were essentially just big temporary stands when they were put up, um, just to sort of you know get the conversion uh, into an all-seater stadium uh, done as quickly as possible. So they will have to be redeveloped at some point. Um, I'm not saying it'll be done anytime soon, but you know when they do look to do it, then I imagine the whole um, conversation of uh, safe standing would have moved if it is going to move anywhere would have actually sort of uh, been brought into um, into the sort of the higher divisions by that point. And I think, you know, I think most fans, especially those that sit towards the back of the hammy end, would probably be all for it. Um, I think, you know, it would add that extra element of uh, atmosphere, um, which, you know, I think, you know, every club can do with, really, uh, no matter yeah. sort of uh, what team it is, really. So, yeah, we shall see anyway. Um, I think, you know, we're going to move on now to having a quick look at uh, the weekend Cardiff's game against Derby was postponed. Now, the best thing about that, apart from Neil Warnock being seriously pissed off by the fact that, you know, it was called off with, uh, you know, two hours in advance, uh, which is, you know, seeing Colin that upset. It's always, you know, it's a good way to uh, brighten your Sunday. You know, you it was my birthday as well. And, you know, I just made me smile that little bit extra. You know, that now does leave them with a fixture pilot uh, going in towards uh, going towards the end of the season. Um, and so what have they got? We did list the games earlier. They have uh, Sheffield United away, Wolves at home, Villa away, Norwich away, and then Derby away crammed into 16 days. Now, that could go one of two ways. They could just pull out a run um, like, you know, you kind of sort of think they have the sort of ability to do, but it could also, you know, screw them really. You know, we, we need them to drop points. We need them to lose at least three or four games in the last, uh, in the last eight, nine. Um, and so, you know, is this, do you see this as uh, an opportunity for them to do that? Or do you think they will just take it by the scruff of the neck and just go for it? Towards the back end of the season, in my opinion, you're always going to come through little spells of fatigue um, regardless of the fact you've got games polled in unexpectedly and it was lovely to see Neil Warnock have a little bit of a moan on Sky Sports. I must have watched that reel back about 10 times over and each time I laughed just as hard. But <laughs> I I sort of believe none of those games at all. There's no easy game in the Championship anyway, but 
they're going to come across some some real squads and squads that are going to want to beat them as much as uh, as much as we do. And in, over those course of games, there's a lot of games crammed in. Is going to come injuries as well potentially. I don't wish injuries upon anybody, of course, but it could benefit benefit us in a, in an adverse way for them. Um, or yeah, you know, contrivingly, they could absolutely take it by the scruff of the neck. They could look at look themselves in the eyes and go in the mirror. We've got to get through this run of games now. We know exactly what our goal is, much like everybody else below us. And if we plow through. Yes, we may end up losing second spot, but let's face it, we they've earned the right to be there. And although we drug them we drug them away from home, we know that they're you know, they're beatable. But it's a tough one to call. I wouldn't want to be playing I wouldn't want to be playing Derby County again, especially. Um they made it difficult for us. Mm-hmm. You know, we got we got Norwich coming up and they always seem to give us a little bit of a tough game as well. I remember the opening game of the season where uh, you know Nelson Oliveira got that equaliser. They have they have weapons of their own, and I think Cardiff need to be wary of that. But getting that game out of the way against Derby, um, you know, that's something that's something that they generally needed to happen. Two hours before kickoff was great, but it's a psychological thing now, you know, they've, they're, they're professional football players. They've got to be conditioned for all kinds of environments, you know, any, uh, exerting pressures and they're going to be put under the, under the microscope now. And that kind of takes the pressure off the boys that are chasing them because they're there to be shot at more or less. Yeah. And anything you say about, uh, Warnock, you know, it's, it's kind of, it is a bit of banter towards him, but he does rile people up the wrong way. Um, I guess you know, teams he manages, their fans fans tend to love him because uh, he does the job. Uh, just watching him though, just you know, just makes most people angry. Um, but you know, I think he's done a very good job at Cardiff. He's turned the team that you look at and just go, why is this team second in the league? But mm. you know, he is you know he's the king of the championship uh, in terms of sort of like you know turning uh, also rands into promotion challenges. So you know, all credit to him if they finish second. Uh, you deserve it because it's such a long season um, and such, you know, hard games throughout. And so if they do sort of go on a run and they do sort of uh, take second place, then we'll just have to make do with the playoffs. So hopefully we won't have to because obviously our record of the playoffs stinks. Um, and, you know, and also because on the playoff final day, I have a wedding to go to, which is oh, really, I mean, you know, <laughs> love and all that's great. But Fulham at Wembley, oh, I don't know. Um, so yeah, I, I know the feeling. It's, my, it's actually my girlfriend's birthday on the playoff final, so oh, I've got birthday, a little bit. I mean, yeah. Well, well, yeah, but I've got a little bit of groveling to do if I want to get if, if we make it. Of course, I, I want to be there. <laughs> Take her with me. Yeah, exactly. You know, say so you're going for a nice sort of uh, romantic weekend away in North London. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just I just need to stop past uh, uh, Wembley for a couple of hours, and yeah, it'd be lovely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well. On that note, uh, Cameron, I need to. Uh, we need to wrap things up. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, it's a shame it was just the two of us, but you know, uh, next time we should have three of us again. We will. We'll just set John up nice and early with uh, equipment that works. And yeah, I mean, the big thing to take away from this is, yes, the result on Saturday wasn't great. We've now got two weeks off just to sort of you know get our you know, get everything together together again. 
but we have broken a 139 year record. And I think, uh, you know, we have to look at that and go, well done to the lads, well done to Slav, you know, well done to everyone behind the scenes. They sort of this club um, has felt sort of a little bit fractured at times over the last few months. Uh, it does seem to be coming together. There is a good atmosphere around. Uh, and, you know, we will push on and hopefully uh, by the end of the season, even if it is just the playoffs, we'll be going in on a high. Um, and yeah, and then hopefully this will be our last season, the championship for a while. Uh, and if it's not, you know, so be it. This is, it's the fun of supporting Fulham. So anyway, guys, thanks very much for listening. Uh, keep an eye on out for, on the Fulham Focus Twitter and the website for more Q and A's and interviews coming up and we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks very much. Fulham.